Trauma is a funny thing, isn't it? I think having my diagnosis for ADHD and also just naturally healing, I kind of just reached a point where I thought I need to be true to who I am. And I think actually that started to heal me quite a lot. I'm more genuinely happy in myself because I am myself. I don't know if you're going to see this voice memo, but I thought I was happy. Are, are you happy? I'm not happy at all. The question is, are you happy? Yes. Are you happy? I'm the happiest I've ever are been right now. P.S. Be the person who you'd want to meet because somebody needs you. Welcome to Are You Happy? The Happy Hour. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Are You Happy Podcast. Today, we have an amazing guest that is not only a head of marketing for a production company, but she, that's right, I said she, she is a director of her own content creation company called Native Content. So without further ado, let me introduce you to the most awesome guest this week, Victoria Stack. Victoria, how are you today? I am very well. Thank you, Vanessa. Very, very well. Awesome. So happy to meet you. And I love that we both have V names. So that means that you're automatically awesome. Yeah, I know. They're the best, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, totally. And can you tell our audience more about what it is that you do for Native as a director and then also about Crema, what you do there? Yeah, sure. So I am director of my own content marketing agency. I focus more on the creative side. So I guess what you'd probably call me is a writer. So I focus, like I say, on the creative side, working with huge brands, working with smaller brands to create, whether it's advertising, whether it's, you know, print work, it could, whatever it is, any content. Yeah, we that's what we do in our company. Yes, totally understand. That's what we do also with Happy Productions and Are You Happy? And when you develop the content, and I'm sure this is going to be a really good question for our audience, but when you're developing content for a specific company, what kind of things are you guys thinking about? Is it their mission? Is it them on a personal level? Is it the audience? What exactly is going through your mind when you're developing particular type of content for your clients? Yeah, so for me personally, I think the thing that I thrive with most is looking at it on a more emotive personal level. So I think that as I mentioned before, I'm probably more of a writer. And for me, I think words tell a story. And I think that for me, it's really important to get that emotive side, that thought-provoking side. Because in my opinion, I'm sure not too many people might agree in the analytical side, but data is one thing, but you miss that human touch sometimes if you just focus on the data. So what I tend to specialize in is probably more of, yeah, the emotive side, the thought-provoking, the the wanting people to feel something when they when they're reading my content or they're viewing my content, whatever it may be. So, yeah, it's definitely looking into how we can do that for a client and how we can reach their audience on a human level, for sure. I love that answer. Ten out of ten. And that is why you write, because it's just so in you. But I would say that you're 100% correct and we operate in the same way, whether it's our production company with Happy Productions or with Are You Happy? We connect to to all of our audience members throughout the world within emotions and experiences and we allow them to share whatever it is that they wish to share with the world. And so by that, our viewers are connecting with one another and they're inspired and they're telling us in, in the comments that, you know, I really needed to hear this or I had the worst 
stay. And the impact that is made around the world is just so amazing, yet so simple in format. But it's just unbelievable to connect emotionally with people, strangers, in fact. But then on the other side, there's also a responsibility as well because we have to be mindful on how it is that we do that, how we provoke emotion, but then what's that end goal? And for us, that end goal is being able to connect and to convey that every single stranger has a story and we, th- we feel that we should share those stories. By doing that, we are doing service to the world because we can allow them to experience as much as possible throughout in other strangers' eyes. And I think that that's so important. So definitely a lot that goes into it. And it's just an unbelievable experience. And also, you know, you have an unbelievable talent for doing this. So thank you for what you do. Thank you. Thank you so much. No, I 100% agree. You know, it's, it feels quite soulless, doesn't it, if, if there's no human connection to that. And we've all got this slight fear, I think, in content that AIs are going to take over and to be honest, I don't really agree with that because I think that as humans, we need that connection. We need that that touch, whether that's physical, whether that's, you know, through word, whatever that may be. It's really important, I think, for people to grasp that for sure. And there are some people in the technology side for creatives such as Adobe that would agree with you. Recently in 2022 at a creative conference, they had cited uh, a discussion around AI and, and its role in the future, especially the creative side. So the discussion was around making sure that AI wasn't something that replaced the creative, but it was something more so that was hand in hand or a really good tool for the creative to use. So that's been their stance that I've known of thus far and I think that's pretty cool so you talked about you know the industry and how it can be soulless can you tell me more about what you've experienced in the creative world as far as something that is soulless when it concerns your product or advertising or connection through marketing yeah well I think there's that common saying isn't there that we've never been more connected yet so disconnected than we ever have been and I think that's definitely true when it comes to marketing I think that we're so focused on analytics and data and, you know, what the algorithms are telling us that we're sort of missing the key message. You know, all you need to do is look at things like Christmas television adverts on, you know, on the TV and you think they're not necessarily trying to get you, well, in the UK especially, they're not necessarily trying to get you to sell something. They tend to have a message behind them. And usually it's, like I said, a thought-provoking message. And those are their most successful ones. And it's because you feel it, you watch it. You know, we've got television commercials on the TV at the moment that literally leave you in floods of tears because they're almost like cinematic movies at the moment. And for me, that's the best kind of marketing. That's, you know, even if you weren't wanting to buy something or, or you know, use a service from that particular brand or company, sometimes those human connection moving, you know, commercials or marketing efforts can completely change your mind just purely because it's it's spoken to you on a different level. Yes, most definitely. And just out of curiosity, can you think of a commercial that's popular on both sides of the globe when it comes to the holidays? I mean, there's always the classic Coca-Cola advert really isn't there, let's face it. I mean, we love that one too every year. And it's, you know, that's a perfect example, really. It's quite an obvious cliche one, but everybody knows what Coca-Cola is. It sells million billions probably every single day. It almost doesn't need an advertisement to be able to sell it. But that Christmas advert every single year without fail gives you those feels. And, you know, and it, it's not even necessarily for a sales purpose because you don't suddenly run out and want to buy Coca-Cola any more than you normally would. But 
it increases that brand loyalty and, you know, keeps you going to go Coca-Cola rather than Pepsi because it's, it has that human connection. It has that, that feeling behind it. You know, it, it brings up nostalgia of childhood and all of those things that, you know, are really important in our everyday lives that are usually so busy and, you know, numbers and data and everybody's sort of bombarded with these things. So sometimes it's quite nice to have those sort of miniature breaks, I guess, of just being able to feel something where you're not being bombarded with sales materials. And, you know, it's nice to have that kind of that feeling, that warm feeling. Yes, very much so. So when you said Coca-Cola, I'm thinking either it's the polar bear or it's Santa Claus because he's all over the can and he's all over the ads. He's there in the video drinking Coca-Cola and it automatically takes me back to childhood just seeing him. So for me, it wasn't till Christmas that I saw that. Now Coca-Cola or Hershey, the commercial with the little bells when they ring and they play the song, certain things like that you just attribute to these holidays and, and they elicit emotion that's very, very strong and you have these very strong memories in a good way or in a bad way, depending on where, on where you are with that. But nowadays people are doing more of leaving their typical work environment and they're going out and seeking whatever it is that they really want to do. And I think that's so refreshing. So I believe that the content that we do fuels other people who absorb that content and it's it's going to influence for the better in future content and future creative works so hopefully there'll be a lot of positivity and and we'll see more commercials like that 100% I agree with you and I and I agree in the fact that I hope it does go that way because I think the general population are probably getting quite sick to death actually of being bombarded with you know like I said algorithms and things that are just constantly sort of sales orientated. And for me, that's just not where the market should be. And I think people have enough sort of stress and everything else in their lives that it's quite nice to have that, you know, marketing that isn't completely in your face all the time. I think a lot of companies that produce social content will continue to build on this because that's what I find myself saying on the daily. When it comes to commercial production, I feel like it's no longer about what's in the box. It's no longer about putting a box in front of your face. I feel like social media is pushing more of the story and getting you to recognize the brand uh, within a matter of seconds as opposed to what is in that box. So we're creating this emotional connection with that company and we're learning their story and we're focusing on who they are and deciding, you know, whether this is a company that we want to buy from, whether their story is what we want to be part of our story. So it's really interesting. I think the recent statistic was people see over 6,000 adverts daily. So how are you going to stand out from that? How are you going to be the Coca-Cola advert that's going to stand out of that? Because like I say, 5,500 of those are going to be sales orientated. So you know, how are you going to stand out from the crowd when people are seeing that being bombarded continuously with them? Yeah, totally, totally agree with you. How do you stand out? How does native content, how does Crema stand out from the thousand of adverts and companies out there? I guess, again, it just goes back to the sort of the storytelling of who I am deep down, really, because I am a writer. I'm currently writing a book at the moment too. So I think for me, it's really important to look at narratives and to look at, you know, being able to tell a story of who the company might be, what the intention is and who they're marketing to and where the story is going next. I've always been a storyteller since I was knee high to a grasshopper. So I think 
for me, that's fundamentally where I've always kind of put myself in terms of content. And I think that's probably what makes me stand out the most. I can see the bigger picture. I can see the bigger story. And like I've said previously, algorithms are important, but they're not the be all and end all. And I've done some really risky things in my career when it comes to storytelling. I've done things that everybody has sort of said to go against the grain. And, you know, we haven't had the data for this and we haven't got the proof for this. And actually, I've luckily, or maybe not luckily, maybe I'm just very intelligent. I have come out sort of top trumps really because I listened to what people wanted and I developed a narrative that related to people like that. Yeah. And I think that that's for me is my USB, I guess, is that I'm coming from a storyteller writer background. That's that's my USP. So here's something I want to know. You said you were a storyteller since you were very small. As a child, how did you know that you were a storyteller? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think I was the one that was sort of creating plays and poems. And, you know, I was a bit of an extrovert when it came to being a child and loved putting on performances for people. But they were all written by myself and some of them may or may not have made much sense. But I just really enjoyed storytelling and I loved, you know, being able to create something out of you know a wonderland of imagination I suppose when it came to yeah poetry I guess I started probably with stories and used to make up my own jokes I think that probably weren't very funny <laughs> but yeah and then I think it sort of in my teenage angst years I think it went into poetry and then songwriting and then in my latter years I have been writing a book so I guess it sort of matured in that sense you might call it but yeah did you kind of go from different genre to different genre or did you kind of ping pong back and forth or was it like a very neat and orderly path where you're like okay I finished this one specific work I'm done I'm moving on to painting like how did that work for you Absolutely not. So actually, funnily enough, I was only recently diagnosed with ADHD. Didn't know back in the day, in the 80s and 90s, that what ADHD was really, I think it was primarily suggestible for boys rather than girls. So it's completely unnoticed. But we look back and yes, let's just say it was chaos, but organized chaos most of the time. But yeah, it was, you know, I'd be painting for five minutes and I just need to write an entire poem and then I'd scoot off and write a play and it would just be all manners of chaos, but somehow would manage to pull it together at the last minute. So Yes, it was not in orderly fashion whatsoever. <laughs> That's so awesome to hear because I'm pretty sure that everyone listening is like, oh God, please tell me I'm not the only one. So thank you so much for making us feel a little better. I have a similar story in that when I grew up, I was always putting on these little shows for everyone and I was writing and acting and doing all kinds of, of, of skits, just pure craziness. But one thing I remember in particular was that when I was in, in elementary school, I used to write these little books for my classmates and I would write these full-on stories and physically cut out pages and insert them into one another to make these kind of makeshift books and then I would illustrate them and I would make this little library where all of these titles there was there was probably somewhere like 15 but they were on display in this little bookcase and so it was it was very encouraging to have this little library and to have people read my work so that's just it's just something that just stands out I remember just, you know, going from one thing to another and, and creating so many different things. But it's good to know that, that was not an odd thing to do. You know, thinking about it now, I'm kind of like, wow, that is so insane that I actually did that. Really impressive, though. I mean, there was something stirring in there that, you know, was later going to sort of blossom, I guess. 
So you'd always, yeah, I'm a true believer in our sort of talents. We are, you know, there's nature versus nurture, but I think a lot of it comes from nature and it's who we are and what our interests are. And then, you know, the nurture sort of develops it. So yeah. Yeah, it was obviously meant to be. And same for you. Same for you. So like you dive into different areas and I think it's worth exploring and finding out exactly what makes you tick and what that you find you're good in as opposed to just one area, but find more areas, right? I think that it's possible for people to go out and experiment with different forms of creativity, whether it's writing, painting, singing, making art, making film. A lot of people make content out there now, so there's just so much to do, and it's just so important for us to explore and just really look at everything. And so, my dear Victoria, when it comes to happiness, are you happy? So I I have actually thought about this question previous to this and in my own sort of mind frame, I suppose, on a number of occasions. And I think my answer would be that, yes, I am happy. However, I think over the years, my definition of what happiness means has definitely changed. Unfortunately, when I was sort of 17 years old, I went through some trauma. My father passed away. And I think from that point, I sort of created in my head what I thought happiness meant. And it goes back to sort of similarly to what you were saying about being an actress. And, you know, I think I just sort of took on the role of what I thought happiness meant. And it was only up until sort of maybe the last couple of years that I realized that I was happy in the big difference between that happiness was and what my happiness now is authenticity. And by that, I mean, you know, I I mentioned before I got my diagnosis with ADHD and I no longer was pretending to be happy or pretending to be anything that I, you know, I saw other people and I was sort of trying to mimic them, I suppose, and mimic what I thought happiness was supposed to be. And now I can say I'm more genuinely happy in myself because I am myself and I'm able to you know, be honest about my emotions now. And I think that the, definitely the biggest difference between that is authenticity, for sure. Well, I am very sorry for your loss, and I can't even imagine how difficult that must be as an older adolescent, and, and that makes sense in the way that you described. Taking on that role and having a mask to be able to get through that and then put that away, it's, it's very powerful. How do you even begin to start the process of becoming authentic? Was there a catalyst or something that happened for you? Yeah, well, I think trauma is a funny thing, isn't it? When it happened to me, it was sort of 14 years ago. I'm 33 now. We didn't, as for everybody, actually, mental health, it was seen as a taboo subject, should I say. You know, there wasn't an awful lot of help. I didn't go through therapy, unfortunately, even though I definitely should have done. I suffered with, you know, quite bad anxiety. I actually had a bout of psychosis, trauma-induced psychosis for a little while. And I realized that I needed to, if I wasn't kind of going to be happy for myself, it kind of comes hand in hand with this mask, really. If I wasn't going to be happy for myself, I needed to do something that made other people happy, I guess. So I started doing a lot of things that were kind of, you know, I volunteered at homeless shelters. My father died of a heroin overdose, he was an addict. So I took time out to kind of speak to other families of addicts because I thought that my story might benefit them. And then, like I mentioned before, I, I have written, well, I am writing a book that will hopefully come out next year. And it's called Laughing to Death. And I think actually that started to heal me quite a lot. I just felt that it was a sense of therapy for me, should I say. And I was getting it out and I was able to write about it, but it wasn't the book that I necessarily wanted to put out there. It was just more of a healing process. And then a few years ago, I think having my diagnosis for ADHD and also just naturally healing, if I'm completely honest, I kind of just reached a point where 
I thought I need to do something. I can't just keep, you know, bouncing off the walls, bouncing from one thing to the next. I need to be true to who I am because the problem was I was sort of ricocheting off walls, if you like, because I was thinking, because I wasn't authentic to myself, I was really struggling with a sort of imposter syndrome and not really knowing who I was, you know, and it was really affecting my career. It was affecting my relationships. It was affecting my family. And so I just got to the point where I thought something's got to change. And at that point is when the book itself then changed into laughing to death and it's actually about what I noticed was most sort of I don't want to call it a self-help book but a lot of books that you read about grief are to do with sadness and depression now whilst both of those things are very very important things to recognize there is a sort of a huge gaping hole where shame and embarrassment sat that nobody spoke about You know, there's all of these things that we do when we're grieving. And by grieving, it doesn't necessarily have to mean death. You know, it's all relative. It could be the loss of job. It could be a breakup. It could be anything. There's this whole element of getting better and grieving that that people just ignore and they're shameful of and they don't want to touch. And so my book is basically a lot of stories about myself of ridiculous situations I've probably got myself in. But with the underlying sort of narrative, I suppose, that You don't need to be shameful. You don't need to be ashamed. You don't need to be embarrassed about these things. And so with that, I had to become authentic (laughs) because, you know, I never want to write anything that's not authentic. And I guess for me, that's when I started that book was about three years ago. So kind of came hand in hand. And that's probably, yeah, where I, where the switchover between becoming authentic had to happen. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, really. That's a lot for you to live through and let alone write it down and share it with people. Seriously, thank you for sharing this. It's truly an honor to get to hear your story and to know that you were able to work through this and write it out. That's like therapeutic writing. So, so much power for people needing to process trauma and and to process everything in life. So it's like it's you on a page and you in this book and I cannot wait to read it. So I'm just going to say this, and you probably get this all the time, but no matter what, I am so proud of you. And I think that you're an amazing human being and all that you've been through. It's remarkable that you are here and that you're able to share this with other people. So coming through what you've been through and being able to use that to also inspire people, you're doing it right now even, whether you know it or not. It shows in your work and it shows in your voice. So I just want to say thank you. Switching gears for a brief second, in your area of profession, would you say that the way you write has to do with previous experiences and that it affects how you communicate with people, whether it's via emotion or via really positive ideas? 100%. I think the way that I feel is I have a duty of care to pass on that knowledge, I guess, to other people. And, you know, not everything I write necessarily comes from a place of trauma, but I understand human emotions much more. And I not know a medical profession or anything, but I have gone through, you know, the start to finish of trauma and issues with mental health. So if somebody can relate to that, it's me. Like I say, I'm not an expert, but yes, a lot of what I do, I feel I have a duty of care to pass on to people 
And I would never want anybody to go through any of that. You know, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. And so I think a lot of what I write, I don't know whether this is just a trauma reaction or if it's just because I'm British, but a lot of what I write has a slight dark sense of humor to it, I have to say. And that's what I enjoy writing the most. And I think that, you know, laughter and humor is such a powerful tool that I think sometimes we get bogged down with sort of the trauma side of things and, and the painfulness of something. And I found a lot of the time it's easier to get a message across when it's not so dark and it's not so stormy. And I'm not saying, you know, there's a lot of things that you shouldn't take humor to. But for me, if there's a difficult subject, for instance, that I'm really trying to resonate across to an audience without coming across too strong. You know, I've mentioned it before, people have enough going on in their own lives that's not always productive, should I say, to be dark and dooming and, you know, all of those things because people switch off and I get why. So for me, I use a lot of the way that I write and it's exactly the same in my book. The way that I write is through, through humour with an undertone of making sure that the message still gets across. But I like making people laugh. I like making people smile. I like making people feel good. And I think they say that comedians are usually comedians because they're the saddest people in the world because they know what it is to feel so sad. So they, all they want to do is make other people happy. And that really resonates with me in my writing because that's exactly what I aim to do a lot of the time. Very, very true. So if I can ask, what in general sparks happiness moments for you? For example, if you were to think back on your life, on these little small vignettes of your life, what is it that makes you smile? What are these moments? I think for me, human contact is a huge one. And I don't necessarily mean physically. I just mean having people around you. I'm a introvert, extrovert, probably more of an extrovert than an introvert. But I enjoy my own time. But I, it's incredibly important to me. And I feel my, you know, sort of mental health and everything go down if I don't have that human connection and it can literally just be the case of having a cup of tea with somebody or whatever it is but just having that knowledge that you've got someone there I think it's incredibly important to eradicate your entire life of toxicity in my opinion because it is a drain on your happiness and the minute that you do that you start seeing the brighter things the smaller things in life that you can appreciate you start realizing the people that are there for you. You stop focusing so much on the negative in your life and the toxic drains, whether that's friendships, relationships, whatever it might be, a job. Once you get rid of all of those things, what I found and the things that I love the most is the fact that you then start realizing all the really small things in your life that do give you so much happiness they give you that joy in life and you realize those people that you may have neglected previously the silly things you know my neighbor leaves a book outside for me every now and then that they think I might like and previous to that if I was so headstrong and just stressed I would kind of pick it up on the way and just kind of throw it you know toss it on my dining room table and not really think much of it but it's those small things now that I've been able to sort of appreciate and sort of clear my head with I guess that bring me joy bring me happiness yeah I guess that's a simplified answer so now comes the best question of all my personal favorite if you could share a message with the world and you've already done so, so many of them. But if you could share a message with the world, any message at all, what would that be? I mean, there's the cliche, be kind to people. But actually, I think it's more be gentle to yourself. And by that, I mean, don't try and run 100 miles an hour because the person next to you is running 100 miles an hour. Because if you do that, you're going to miss 
all the amazing things that happen on that journey. If you're so focused on that end goal because somebody else has got that end goal, whether it's, you know, classic example for me, I'm in my thirties, everybody around me is getting married, having children. And I'm constantly, well, I was constantly thinking, oh, that's what I need to do. The minute that I stopped doing that and I was gentle to myself, I sort of thought I'm going to enjoy this ride. And if it happens, it happens. And some of the most incredible experiences have happened to me in that time so I think be gentle to yourself and slow down it'll happen life will happen it will happen at the time it's supposed to and enjoy life every minute of every day you know I know that's not technically possible because we all have that down days but take joy out of the small things in life and slow down that would be my my message and if I can add on just follow-up question how do you yourself slow down I know you write and I know that you read, but what are some other ways that you haven't touched on yet that you slow down to decompress and take these moments for yourself? Well, there's two sides of this. I think the downside of working in content and in the corporate world in particular is that it is like a rat race 24-7 all the time, especially when it comes to having emails on your phone and constantly in contact with everybody. So on the one side, I have to remember to myself because I still suffer with anxiety quite like, oh, well, I can do it, it can overwhelm me. So I have to remember that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's not the end of the world. It doesn't matter. And I take a breath and I think to myself, what's really going to happen? If I don't get this deadline finished at 3 a.m. in the morning, what's really going to happen? Is the world going to stop? No, the work will still happen. I'll still have a job and everything's going to be fine. I have to remember to do that. So that's one sort of side of it. And then I think the other side of it is just being comfortable with doing nothing. I don't have to have, you know, a really exciting hobby. If I want to sit and watch Netflix for five hours straight, <laughs> that is what I'm going to do that day. You know, I'm going to eat a whole packet of biscuits and drink 50 cups of tea and I'm going to watch a show that I haven't been able to watch for weeks. It's totally okay to do that. If I feel like being under my duvet for an entire a day on a weekend that's okay so I guess I don't have a sort of you know I don't go hiking I'm not one of those people that has sort of a snouty hobby or anything that's it that's that's my answer I guess Mm -hmm. and I think you're right I think that it's very important for people to understand that it is okay and thank you so much for sharing that for anyone that's considering entering the field that you work in what would be a valuable piece of advice that you want to share with them don't get blinded by the money. And the reason I say that is because the biggest mistakes I made in my early 20s was chasing the pound or the dollar, whatever you want to call it. And it drove me into an almost nervous breakdown <laughs> because the higher the money, the higher the responsibility and the more that they want their sort of bang for their buck. And nine times out of 10, it's not necessarily going to be in an industry that you might be interested in. My advice is go for something that you love doing, that you enjoy doing, because you will do lots of long hours. You will do lots of overtime and, and you'll get lots of computer headaches. And <laughs> so at the end of the day, it's got to be something that you love writing about. You can get up in the morning and you don't hate doing, but you get up and you think, right, I've had a refresh and I can think about it. And I've got a hundred million ideas that I've written down in a notebook by my bed, which is something I always do. But yeah, yeah. 100% don't chase money 
first. It's very enticing because it's a very lucrative business or it can be, but you have to remember why it would be a lucrative business. And for me, it was not worth it. It is not worth it. It really isn't. Choose your passion over money. That would be my biggest piece of advice. I love that. I love the fact that you're talking about practical aspects because it's going to be long hours. And yes, it's going to be so much pain and and effort. But in the end, you love it. You love what you do. Clearly, it shows. And how you speak about it, your examples, when it comes to your work in production, everything to do with the creative process, it totally shows. And I would have to say, same for us as well. Everything that we do, whether it's video, audio, anything creative, it's just we're in it a thousand percent our hearts are totally in it so thank you for just being awesome and I guess the only other point I would have to say is don't be too precious about your work and by that I mean because you're if you're stepping into it for another client it's not personal it's not personal but know your worth 100 percent. it's you know we all have to pay bills but we should never be doing work that is underpaid we should never really be doing free work in my opinion to be honest even if you're just starting out your work is valuable your skills and your energy and your time is valuable so I would personally never take I mean even I would never tell anybody to take any work for free but equally like I say on the flip side of that don't get starry-eyed by the dollar signs because it doesn't always mean that it's it's a better opportunity just because it's offering you more money in fact if anything sometimes it could be a bit of a red flag very true so yes toward your point it definitely is not the end-all be-all and I kind of wonder when you're thinking about how much you want and what you're trying to achieve in respects to career and so forth, asking ourselves why we want the money. Like, is it for practical reasons such as paying the bills? Is it for creative reasons to launch your own brand and and be independent? What is your why? I think that's very interesting to think about. Yeah, for sure. And I think I think a lot of it is in the Western world, we put status against money. And I think that you think that you would be more valuable by having a higher wage when actually your value is not quantifiable when it comes to money. Your value is, yes, it's an element, but your value is much higher than that. Your value is, like I say, your time, your energy, your experience. That's the value, really. And again, it's the difference. Like I said, it's for me, it's a red flag if something's you know, severely overly paid, you've got to think why. And it's not, you know, I'm not criticizing somebody saying that they're not worth that money. It's just that having been in the business, you know, I've been approached for jobs and I've just been like, mm, this isn't right. <laughs> because, you know, what what's what's the catch here? What do I need to do? And lo and behold, it's turned out that I'm literally working 24 hours and the client is a nightmare and there's a reason for it. So it just goes back to your value and knowing your worth. Totally agree. Most definitely. 1000%. Is there anything else that you want to share about your company or Crema that you've not yet shared today? Not hugely. I think that, you know, if the world was looking for more of a narrative building style of content marketing, I guess I'm your gal. I like to think without sounding arrogant that my work speaks for itself. My clients speak for themselves. Like you're welcome to have my details and look them up if you like. But yeah, I like to think that, you know, the work speaks for itself. I know that I'm a writer and I know that I can speak fairly well, but I actually don't like talking about my work too much, just purely because I get a little bit like, oh, <laughs> like a little bit, not embarrassed, but I guess I'm trying to be humble when you get my company, I guess is what I want the world to know. It is you get a whole chunk of me. And if you can deal with that, I'm like Marmite, if you know what that is. You love me or you hate me. 
<laughs> so it's like for some people, the equivalent would be Vegemite, right? Like some people love it. Some people hate it. Exactly. 100%. And I, it's part of being authentic. I accept that now. I don't need everybody to love me. I'm not everybody's cup of tea or whatever you want to call it. But I am very passionate about what I do. I care about people, whether it's, you know, the employees I work with or whether it's my clients, whatever it or the end goal of the customer, I care a lot. And I like to think that that comes through in my work, whether you like me as a person or the way that I work or perhaps it's not right for you. That's also totally cool. So Victoria, please tell everyone where they can find you online, the socials, the website, the details, all of it. Go for it. So the easiest way to find me is actually on my Instagram and it is That's What Victoria Did. All my information's on there, both of my company. You can also find me on LinkedIn, my full name, Victoria Stack, if you wanted to find me. Those are the two easiest ways and I'll be happy to have a chat. Oh my goodness. I love that handle. That is hilarious. And there's no apostrophe or it's just... Nope, just all one word at That's What Victoria Did. That's so funny. I love it. Well, thank you so much. Amazing things ahead. And you're so empathetic. You're just all around amazing. I really love what you said today about duty of care. I think that's the coolest thing. And we've not yet touched that on this show. So you are the first. We are so excited for the book that you're working on and the work that you do, what you're going to do in the future. You're an amazing female director for native content and head of marketing for Crema. I can't even imagine what it's like to be part of your company. Your your people must be super happy and, and uh, just inspired every day. Thanks so much. <laughs> thank you so much you're too kind Vanessa <laughs> all 100% truth I assure you that well thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of are you happy podcast stay tuned for future episodes and be sure to find us and find Victoria on social media as far as are you happy be sure to follow us on TikTok Instagram YouTube Facebook the whole lot and thank you again Victoria for being here I hope you have the most lovely day and year ahead have the best day of your life Thank you so much for having me. The Are You Happy Hour and Are You Happy Hotline are brought to you by Are You Happy Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media such as Instagram and subscribe via your favorite podcast platform. Are You Happy? The docuseries can also be found on social media such as Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. See you guys next time for another wonderful episode of Are You Happy? The Happy Hour.